Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 45 of The Hilo, the weekly news, current affairs and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. I've learnt all the different decibels that you reach when you do that intro now. I do. I actually did it with my eyes closed. Welcome to The Hilo. That's not even an expression. I do it with my eyes closed. I really like it. Also, I'm not looking a gift horse in the mouth because, as you know, I have a chronic fear of doing the intro. Thank you very much to all the high-low listeners who came to our event at Liberty. It was such a nice event. I loved it so much. And we learnt that Liberty is made from two ships. Dolly is obsessed. I just this. can't believe it. And many sailed in her. Many sailed in her. <laughs> she was on the high seas. And then she <laughs> sailed to Oxford Circus. This is actually true. This is not she didn't me. Sailed, she didn't sail. Well, she didn't dock where Liberty is. No, but she sailed past the Which, to of be fair, was a question I asked. <laughs> and the room that we were in, this beautiful panelled room, was um, the captain's headquarters office. What do you call a captain's room, Charlie? <laughs> I don't know why Charlie would know. I don't, let's put it on him. Quarters. quarters. He normally knows. <laughs> it's the but, captain quarters. And. Um, yeah, no, it was lovely. For those of you that have asked, it's not going out as a live podcast. It was just an extra intimate chat. It's just ladies nattering. <laughs> ladies nattering. No, Dolly. it wasn't. It was a really good conversation, actually. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. So thank you very much for coming and thank you for being such a great audience. And they were also the first Ask the Hilo live audience that we've had that just couldn't keep their hands down. So many questions. Smorgasbord of questions. Which we loved. Um, other than sailing in the good ship Liberty, I've finished So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. And I think because I'm so neurotic and anxious, I've become like super dependent on his voice for keeping me calm. So I just went straight onto the psychopath test. And even him talking about psychopaths, I find very calming. On Audible as well? On Audible, yeah. Have you read the psychopath test? No, I read a lot of journalism about it. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting book. It's, I'd been warned that what happens when you read it is... You think you're a psychopath? No, because apparently if you think you're a psychopath, you're not a psychopath. So actually, if you think you're a psychopath listening to the psychopath test, which I did initially, I think that means that I'm a narcissist, which I already knew. Um, (laughs) But it does make you look at everyone that you've ever encountered in your life at this checklist of psychopathy and this checklist of the traits and how it manifests. And I definitely have known one person absolutely de- he he ticks every single box psychopath rather than a sociopath they're the same they're interchangeable basically no they're different things he says that they're used in the world of psychology and as the same thing to describe the same thing really yeah i didn't know that either write in if you disagree um yeah, so that's... Uh, it, and he said that he had the same, that when he first found out what psychopath was, he started thinking back on all the people who had, like, treated him badly in the past to decide whether they were psychopaths or not. And it, he said that initially his head first went to A.A. A. Gill because A.A. A. Gill famously hated all of John Ronson's television when John Ronson was a TV critic. And he went through... And, and some of it does measure up. Obviously, A.A. A. Gill's not a psychopath. He does, like, a whole spectrum of it, as he does in his shaming book. It's, he's so journalistic in the fact that he does such a three-dimensional report. So he looks at psychopaths in the stock market, CEO psychopaths, as well as he goes into Broadmoor, there's this fascinating relationship he forms with a prisoner in Broadmoor so I'm just loving that I just think maybe maybe John Ronson is my new Adam Buxton while I was about to say yeah while Dr Ronson. Buckles is having his uh, sabbatical I'm also listening to Still Me which is the third in a trilogy by Jojo Moyes the first of which was Me Before You did you read that? I did the second is After You and this is the third Still Me 
I'm interested. This is so not your type it, of I know, books. I know, but I Have fell... you read any of them? All of them, yeah. Yeah. That's so weird. So I fell in to love... To me, to me. It's not weird. It's weird no. to me that you're enjoying them. Well, they're hugely, hugely popular books. And the first They are, one, which yeah. is why I'm... Not, <laughs> that's enough for you to put it down. <laughs> I hate how well you know me. Um, I didn't even know there was a new one out. I must read it. Yeah, I, I'm listening to the Audible and it, it's... Um, it's read really beautifully by this actress. I'm sure everyone knows the story of Me Before You. It's about the most likeable character. Jojo Moyes has basically written the perfect leading lead female. She's like the most relatable and lovable and relate- and um, down-to-earth and funny character. And the first book was about her falling in love with a paraplegic who she cared for. And then the second one was about life after he passed away. And then the third one, uh, this one, is about her starting a new life in New York. And I'm just really enjoying it. And it's comforting and funny and so warm so I'm, I'm loving gonna read that. it yeah I've also 10 years too late got into Mad Men yeah, but you're having some feminist issues with it yeah but I've now got over it Eva Wiseman tweeted me saying you're watching it wrong and now I understand I, I, I think to watch yeah to what it will ruin your watching experience because I kind of have that now with friends which I adore and I said to my husband the other day it was um, more on this later, the episode where Monica had braids and shells in her oh, hair. Yeah. And I said to him, I really love Friends and I, I, I don't want to have to hate it like mm, Gen mm. Z are telling me I have to. You know, yeah. I know that there are narrative flaws, but it comes from a different time and I don't want to watch everything I loved and have to critique it. Just no, I also it. think as well that um, Friends at its time for a lot of mainstream consciousness would have been seen as a very woke show it it's, was it's like what it, it was, it's it was like people what it is in their in 20s moment. living independently in new york um was something that hadn't really been investigated in popular culture that that limbo yeah. time was not something but also they were seen as as pretty like liberal and left-leaning characters yeah. and even now at modern standards we can look at them and say oh well they that was problematic or that was problematic i think it's fine to assess that but i don't think it renders it now like meaning like you that means you can't watch it i don't think but the difference with mad men is is that with friends they were doing that with Ernest. what i what i was stupid of me with mad men was initially i was getting so angry about this like hideously patriarchal society in the late 50s and early 60s what i didn't realize is that was like a conscious construct of the writers and you see the evolution of woman throughout it and also it's important because it highlights the hero turns out to be elizabeth moss whichever character yes yeah yeah you absolutely see women and and betty draper as well you'll see becomes a completely different betty have you watched it yeah i watched some of it ages ago ages i never finished it the daughter's also very interesting yes sally draper yeah kiernan shipka she's very much an up-and-coming actress now in right. Hollywood and she undergoes quite an interesting arc yeah too. and obviously I'm such a basic bitch I'm obviously in love with Don Draper aren't I there well, we go I, I mean I forever will love him since you told me he signs off his emails ham ham capital letters another podcast I listened to was Macaulay Culkin's WTF with Mark Maron and I'm actually only halfway through because it's a pretty hefty interview but I just find Macaulay Culkin so fascinating so do I does he talk about has it been confirmed that he was addicted to drugs? He says no. I went on a into a black hole of Macaulay Culkin interviews. So he says that he says that he was involved with drugs, but he certainly wasn't a heroin addict. Those That's his. See, pictures were. Yeah, but you know what? I looked, looked back at those. so unwell. But I looked back on those paparazzi pictures last night and I actually think that they managed to get hit. I think it's they cheated the photo a bit. It's just his neck sticking out so he looks thinner than no, he is. No, no. Go and relook really like... at them because they're not as bad as I remember. No, they are. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's uh, really interesting because it's him talking a lot about his upbringing that I didn't know anything about. Which was about. also quite odd, right? Fascinating. One of seven children, mm-hmm. and his father picked up his mother, who was hitchhiking, I think, and they never married, and they all grew up in New York City, and they're, Iri- they're Irish Catholic. It's, it's He's just a really interesting guy. He now lives in Paris. Effectively, I think he has been in retirement since his mid-teens, and he kind of says it's this very strange existence where he has so much money now. He Still could, from Richie Rich. Well, he said he bought property in the 90s, yeah. And he was the highest earning child star of all time. Still? I don't know if still. I wonder who it might be now if it's not him. 
I think he pipped like Shirley Temple. So it's just like... <laughs> I wasn't it's, expecting that one. Sorry, I'm, there's one a very weird anomaly of my character so I'm obsessed with Shirley Temple films. Um, he, Yeah, so that's... I just found that really interesting, that what it must be like to be a person who doesn't need to have a career. You know, it's so strange. I do just feel sad for him and sorry for him for because him, yeah. regardless of whether or not he says he wasn't addicted to drugs and regardless of whether or not you think Google Images is just cheating his, his image, either way, there's something unnerving yeah. about the life he has led. Oh, definitely, definitely. And he's, At least um, from the outside. And he sounds quite lonely. He kind of passes it off as kind of tragic She's artist, single. introvert. <clears throat> Wikipedia says no. I've really spent a lot of time on this. Right, enough of this. <laughs> and finally, I promise you, this is the last time I mention it, and thank you so much, Hilo listeners, for your support and for listening to me from day one talking about writing the damn thing to today, which is the day it's published. Today, my first book, Everything I Know About Love, is published. And um, if you like books, then I don't want to sound too bossy. If you'd like to buy it, I would be thrilled. <laughs> God, surreal. We're obviously recording this in advance, so it's actually out tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Will you be gripped? I bet you'll just be on your computer. No, no, tomorrow I'm not. I've got a a radio interview and I'm going to try and not be on my phone all day because I'll just be obsessing. So, Well, best of luck. I'm sure it will be a very exciting first day in existence. Speaking of books, I read The Mothers by Britt Bennett which came out in 2016 and there was a lot of talk about it but weirdly it seems to be having a bit of a renaissance now because I've seen it in quite a few magazine reading lists on Instagram, stuff like that and Brit is only 26 years old always so depressing when I have to read that out <laughs> and it's set in Southern California and it's the it's been described as a tale of contemporary black coming of age story but it's actually I think all based around motherhood so the absence of it the culture of it the personal the collective it's based on this idea that there is this really old community of mothers they call themselves the mothers and they kind of tell this story through their eyes it's really good if you like which I obviously love um Meg Wallitzer like you do as well Dolly then you will you'll love the mothers that sounds brilliant it's a really easy but brilliant piece of contemporary fiction Mm. I tried an episode of Master of None my interest was piqued after the whole babe.net as is Ansari gate and I was really bored and I stopped halfway through the first episode. No, I'm glad you said that because I, I watched the first episode and I, com- I I watched it like ages ago before the whole babe net thing and I watched one and I was not engaged. I didn't come to it with bias. That's... People love it though. Why do people love it? Um, I don't know. I think the thing that I found so weird about the first episode is they were talking about having children like it was the most extraordinary thing and it had and it had just gone slightly too hipster you know that hipster thing where it's odd to have a child Mm. and the way they were talking about it and they were in like their late 30s and I just thought god this is so boring Mm. it's not you know it it felt like a parody Mm. of hipsters that weren't sure if they wanted children rather than just not wanting children which is completely fine I read an interview in the Sunday Times magazine this Sunday which I adored because I have long been really interested and a fan of Helena Morrissey so she's actually the mother of a brilliant singer called Flo Morrissey who lots of people will be familiar with but Helena Morrissey is a massive deal in the city one of the leading women in the city she also has nine children oh my god so she was CEO of a 50 billion pound city fund Newton Asset Management and when she was there she set herself a mission to persuade the chairman of Britain's top 100 countries to commit to making their boards 30% female and under her it rose from 12.5% to 28% oh amazing and when Eleanor Mills says why did you aim for 30% she was like well I wouldn't now now I'm going for 50% but then and she's been made a dame for all her work with the 30% club as she calls it and she's just got a new job as head of personal investment at legal and general investment management which is another global fund management of 951 billion and top management at that company is already 40% female and under her rule it will be 50-50 by 2020 so I just think she's an amazing woman Um, I love I really want her book actually in the Sunday Times magazine they had an extract of an interview she did with her husband um, to say you know rather than describe what it's like for him being a house husband 
30 years ago when it was there the culture was unheard yeah, of yeah. I thought I'd interview him and he got a first from Cambridge he was wow. a financial journalist before he's a Buddhist monk he's like an incredibly smart interesting man and she says it's not like he's just at home looking after the children like his outlook on life is vital to the way our family is run it's vital to the way I do my work and and he says he's not remotely kind of chippy about the stereotypes that come with being a house husband he just said for a long time I felt like there's no my role is not defined because I'm at home with the children but I also have had this career and I still have these interests and I can't really be placed in this bracket and it's just really interesting hearing a 55 year old man say those things that we're used to a woman saying Anyway, I absolutely love her. I think she's such a force for good. She sounds amazing. You'll now I've said her name. I'll you'll see notice her yeah. doing all sorts of amazing, amazing things. I have been having a complete love affair with Radio Four. Now I know that's like saying I've discovered Tesco's, but I've just started listening to it in absolute earnest, and I just adore the programming my favorite is when they bring back archive episodes so i listened to one called how to go straight which is from 2016 which was interviewing lots of different ex-convicts about how they you know acclimatized into society because obviously the statistics for re-offenders are really high and it was just brilliant listening to these incredibly eloquent and interesting individuals describe their journey that led them into prison and then out of prison and there's one guy that said which I thought my god of course that really must be what it's like there's one guy that said you know the weirdest thing for me about being part of a neighborhood as a normal civilian is that Dave from next door no longer became Dave who was trying to bust me for something or Mm. you know suspecting me of something Dave just became a nice man who lived in my neighbourhood who I could wave to without fear it's a really brilliantly interesting programme and the best thing about Radio 4 is you can just go on so I often go on if I've missed something and I'll you know you can type in the day it was on and then re-listen to it like you would a podcast a listener actually wrote in this week um, giving you some tips on how to listen to The Archers because that's your only resolution (laughs) of this year and she said this is from Catherine she said I just wanted to let her know she should get it as a podcast way easier than trying to catch it each day on the radio. I listen in the morning while making brekkie. Such a gentle start to the day and it's always so inoffensive. Oh, great. Okay, cool. So there you go. Yes, because I've been struggling to... I keep accidentally catching the same episode again and again. Mm. So I'll try it as a podcast. Lastly, I shared an Instagram story this week of some Tupperware from my local corner shop. Oh, it was Tupperware heaven, that corner shop. Extraordinary amounts of Tupperware for a shop that is not a superstore. And the response was seismic. Yeah. And all I can deduce is that people are obsessed with Tupperware. Oh, no. I hate it when you give leftovers to someone and you know you're never going to see it again. It's not a niche hobby. Loving Tupperware is not like collecting the Beano in 2018 or, you know, doing a stamp collection age 30. It's really fucking mainstream. What I find even more curious is that no one has written a piece of psychoanalysis on why humans love Tupperware. I delved deep into the internet and all I can find... Yeah, you should write do. it. All yeah. I could find is people writing about Tupperware parties, which are huge in the US. But have to also say, on Urban Dictionary, something very disgusting. Oh my god! You can tell me later. I love Tupperware, but I don't want to go to a Tupperware party. I find that very odd. But <laughs> I think there's something very interesting in this because I imagine you could write some fairly dreary and super millennial piece about how we all love Tupperware because it lets us compartmentalise things and you know an otherwise chaotic world. It's got some sustainable sustainability in there I don't think it's that I think it's that it it's I think there's a reason probably late 20-somethings and early 30s are obsessed with it because that's the point in your life where you finally feel responsible and you get a real kick out of it and Tupperware shows that you've managed to contain your appetite and not eat too much because you've left some over for tomorrow it means that you've cooked something at home and it means that you've planned a meal for the next day so that's why it makes you feel so great Something about storage as well. And it's neat, exactly. So I think it just makes, it reinforces your own ability to look after yourself, I think, Tupperware. Psychoanalysis of storage. I bought special Tupperware that I'm uh, bringing around to your house this weekend. Well, if you're coming to my house, if you just do a right before you get there, you can go visit the Tupperware shop for <laughs> I've ordered literally a special Tupperware container for something I'm bringing. 
it's not an animal. Anyway. But you won't be leaving it behind, will you? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> for the high-low comes from Google Pixel 2. Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo. From maps to emails, search and beyond, Google has a history of looking at the norm and finding a better way. Each week we're going to do a curiosity challenge where we pose a question to one another which encompasses the high-low's ethos of covering all things from the personal to the philosophical to the surreal. So Panda, as we're in the thick of awards season, I want to know what award you would win for your life thus far and what award you definitely would lose out on. What follows is a very, very long pause, which for everyone's sake, producer Charlie has cut, whilst I've nibbled my nails and Dolly's offered all sorts of unhelpful solutions as to what prizes I would win and what prizes I wouldn't win, like accessorising. I I said she would win accessorising. I would say that I might win some sort of award for efficiency and that I might lose an award for being really chilled out so I basically just told you my pros <laughs> and my cons it's a very revealing personal quite painful question really Dolly. I think that you would win definitely the most efficient woman of all time award the lifetime I'm achievement not Helena Morrissey <laughs> it'd be the lifetime achievement award for sending and receiving emails at a breakneck speed and organisation I give that to you. What prize would I lose then? Um, Don't give me another fault. I've already had to peel off my own skin to give you one for this. I can't think because you're so perfect in my eyes, Pandora. (laughs) The Google Pixel 2 is the world's best smartphone, capturing your best ever photos, whether you're in bright light or dark evenings, so starry nights look as good as sunny days. Thank you very much to Google Pixel 2. It's now time for the top line, read by Pandora Sykes. The Grammys had its own Me Too moment this week from Kesha. The pop star gave an emotional performance of her single Praying, joined on stage with female singers including Cyndi Lauper and Camilla Cabello. After the performance, Kesha tweeted the lyrics... After everything you've done, I can thank you for how strong I have become. And thank you to the women on stage with me tonight and everyone who has supported me through this whole journey. Kesha has been in a much-publicised legal battle with her ex-producer, Dr Luke, stemming from 2014 allegations that she drugged, emotionally abused and sexually assaulted her. A Taliban ambulance bomb has killed over 100 people in Kabul and injured almost 200. The blast on Saturday comes just a week after an attack on the Hotel Continental in Kabul where 22 people were killed and before an ISIS attack on the Save the Children offices in the eastern Afghan city of Jalabad on Wednesday where four people were killed and dozens injured. A killer whale that can mimic words such as hello and bye-bye is thought to be the first of its kind to copy human speech. The female whale learned to speak a handful of human words by copying a trainer at a marine park in France. It is very rare for a mammal to learn to speak. Donald Trump has told Piers Morgan he is not a feminist. Who would have thought it? In an interview aired on Sunday night, the president said, No, I wouldn't say I'm a feminist. That would be maybe going too far. I'm for women. I'm for men. I'm for everyone. I think people have to go out and they have to win. And women are doing great. And I'm happy about that. (laughs) A new survey shows that more of us than ever will be renting a property when we start a family. Having to save for on average 24 years to scrape together a deposit, the average age of first-time buyers getting older means that many private renters are starting their own families while still renting. Magic mushrooms could be the key to curing severe depression. Compass Pathways, a British startup, is about to test its theory on 400 patients with an untreatable form of the condition to see if psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, can help. We will report back when the findings have been revealed. Meghan Markle is to do a speech at her wedding to Prince Harry later this year. Going against royal and indeed wedding tradition, we learn that it may even include some jokes. Thomas Cook are allowing holiday goers to book their sunbed ahead of their holiday. The trial scheme will allow you to book your preferred lounger for £22 ahead of departing for your sunny break. I'd 100% do that. 
The BBC announced last week that male presenters John Humphreys, Hugh Edwards, Nick Robinson, Nicky Campbell, Jeremy Vine and John Sopel had all agreed pay cuts to address the ongoing lack of parity at the BBC. Hundreds of women are now in line for pay rises, but BBC Women, a group formed to represent journalists and producers at the BBC, said this was not enough to address the gender balance at the BBC. British children spend just 16 minutes outside, according to a new study by the Office of National Statistics. Screen time is inevitably to blame in this huge decline in time spent by kids outdoors. And that was The Top Line. I met Jeremy Vine at a party and he was the only person who talked to me. I didn't know anyone there. And he told me he worked in radio, and I said, as a producer, and he said, no, as a presenter. And I said, oh, how lovely, little local radio, or? So you did, um... It was literally Notting Hill. You literally did Hugh, yeah, Hugh Bonneville's yeah. Julia Roberts. Yeah, about, it was oh, really... well done! It was splendid. It was really embarrassing. But I like the gender reversal. Yeah. Was he, was he gracious about it? He was so nice about it because I was so Good embarrassed. And now yeah. he's taken a pay cut. I think these pay cuts are great. Liam Neeson and others have said that, you know, whilst they're all for equality in Hollywood, taking a pay cut goes too far. For God's sake! Too far, too far, because it means that, that it doesn't suit them and their wages. That makes me so angry. They're earning millions. I think it's easy, to be fair, I think it's easy to say, well, of course all those male presenters should take pay cuts, but it's quite galling all the same for them. They're not earning £20 million a year, like, you know, someone like Liam Neeson is. They're on really decent salaries, but you could say, well, they're at the top of their game, they've been working in the industry for a long time. Regardless of whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's never particularly nice to see your pay dipping. So I am really glad that these, men have done it especially old Humpo who hasn't always been on the right side of the hasn't always been on the right side of the parity argument he's got himself in hot water quite a few times side note why is no one talking about the fact that I love the BBC covering this as they have done admirably it's a bit like the high-low covering its own deficiencies as if it doesn't know it's the high-low it's sort of marvellously patrician and really daft at the same time (laughs) I have to say I think if you say that you care about equality then this is like completely normal that you should do this I I think it's brilliant that they're doing it but I think it's unthinkable like fine be Liam be Liam Neeson and say that you think it's going too far but then don't say that you care about equality because you don't because the other thing is as well is that power and privilege and money are all nice things like no one wants to have to share those but you are going to have to share them if you want an equal world so that's just how it works speaking of equality Trump's just an insane man. How has he still not understood the definition of feminism? It's so problematic when that happens and it's so tedious that that's come from our president, although not remotely surprising. Also, one last thing, really glad that Meghan Markle's doing a speech. Good for her, especially at something like the Royal Wedding, Mm. where you just can't imagine tradition being broken at all. Obviously, I'm a fan of that because I did one at my wedding. I find it really bizarre how tradition dictates that women just aren't normally heard at weddings. Even the bridesmaids traditionally don't speak. So you can have a wedding where it's just fathers, husbands, best men. It's an incredibly patriarchal um, tradition, totally. Um, And I largely actually kept most of those patriarchal traditions because they were important to my parents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I did give a short speech. And afterwards, I came away slightly with an inflated sense of self, thinking that I should have given a much longer one. Yeah, it was great. When all anyone probably wanted to do is just, you know, get drunk and eat food. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This- 
This week, BBC Radio 4 broadcast a programme titled Why Are Even Women Biased Against Women? that piqued mine and Pandora's interest. The programme, which is half an hour long, explores the slightly uncomfortable but very real truth that we've mentioned on the podcast a number of times, which is that we all carry unconscious biases against minorities, and in this case, that the oppressed party often holds and even acts upon biases against their own people. In short, it's when women act in a sex way towards other women without realising, hence the title, and it's a lot of it is about unconscious bias. Implicit is what they say, yeah. Implicit bias. Yeah. I found it totally fascinating and I sent it to Dolly right away. The programme explores all different areas in which this internalised misogyny expresses itself. A really interesting part of the programme is the, the sort of jump-off point in which they play a clip where Anne Hathaway, the actress Anne Hathaway, reveals rather bravely, I think, that she believes on reflection that in the past she hasn't trusted female directors as much as she trusted male directors, particularly she cites in one day. I really regret not trusting her more easily. And I am to this day scared that the reason I didn't trust her the way I trust some of the other directors I've worked with is because she's a woman. I'm so scared that I treated her with internalized misogyny. When I see a film, a first film directed by a woman, I have in the past focused on what was wrong with it. And when I see a, a film directed, first time directed by a man, I focus on what's right with it. That was so good. I had such admiration for her admitting that she had acted with internalised misogyny towards Lona Scherfig. I really applaud her for being honest about that because I feel like only once we're honest about how far and wide our isms and how deep and un and sometimes unconscious our isms are seated and perpetuated, can we consciously start to deconstruct this bizarre cult we've got ourselves into where we, on some level, I think, not all of us, but many of us, whether we want to or not, believe women to be less responsible or capable or intelligent than men. Yeah, what Anne is saying in her clip is not that she was abusive towards no. Lona or any of the women she's worked for or that she was dismissive, but just that internally... An in, inner dialogue with an herself. An inner dialogue yeah. with herself, which is, as you say, brave. She doesn't ha She's not beholden to reveal her inner dialogue. And also because so many people are stupid and don't understand the nuance, you know that people will read this, some people will read this wrong and think that she's being sexist which she isn't she's actually exploring something she's exploring really, a, a bias yeah yeah and, and 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 actually we don't know if she had a conversation with lona about it presumably she probably did afterwards and we don't know if it was even something that anyone else picked up on but you you what she's saying she got the sense from her own self that she was not feeling as comfortable with the direction as she had been and she said that really interesting point about how she when she sees a film made by a female director, she concentrates on what's wrong with it. Yeah, and when she sees a yeah. film, I don't think she's the only one. Mm. I really racked my brains on this, having listened to this programme, as to whether I felt like I did act with unconscious bias. And it's not always easy to acknowledge because it's unconscious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's implicit. Exactly. And there was this amazing bit in the show where one author explains how she submitted a manuscript with a female name to 50 publishers and she got two responses. And when she submitted it under a male pseudonym, she got 18, mm. exactly the same manuscript. And as the presenter, Marianne Seacart, summarised, so you became an eight and a half times better writer when you yeah. were male. Yeah. And it's worth remembering, to bring it back to the unconscious bias, that a lot of those people in the publishing houses looking at her script would have been women. Marianne also investigated how women are more likely to follow and retweet male political journalists than they are women. We still see certain areas as exclusively male, even if we think we think otherwise. So what we found was the male group as a whole was retweeted and liked nearly five times, 4.9 times more than the female group by Twitter users generally, and 4.3 times more by the influencers specifically. And once you corrected for the fact that there are more men, that they're a bit more opinionated, that they tweet a bit more often... In both cases, we also found that that apparent bias that was being displayed was actually displayed by the majority of both male and female influencers. Though it was more pronounced in the male group, it still existed in the female group. So women are following female political journalists less than male political journalists and then retweeting them less? Yes. Seacart did offer up her own social timelines and said, you know, I'm going to be really honest about the results. And she was actually completely 50-50 on her follows of male and female, which was very lucky. 
I think what I am guilty of, and this has been born of experience, is thinking that men are more likely to talk about money than women. And in a business sense, I find the male perspective with the talk of finances useful. So if I have a business meeting, I will fully expect a woman not to talk about it. Mm. Or if she does, she'll talk about it vaguely towards the end. And if on the rare occasion I have a meeting with men, I do expect a man to talk about it quite brazenly and I will be brazen in return. That has been my experience. So in that sense, I am definitely biased. But I don't... But I'm biased from experience. But I don't know if that is a bias because I think that's probably fact because women are raised to be so accommodating socially that I think we're all told not to speak about money because it makes things uncomfortable. Well, Emma Gannon, another podcaster and broadcaster, talks a lot about, you know, money and why we need to talk about money. Mm, mm. Um, So maybe that's not my unconscious bias. I need to find some more unconscious ones. (laughs) What about you, Dolly? Well, they're hard to to root out, aren't they? I think you catch yourself sometimes. I certainly think that it's something I've been guilty of. I do worry that I'm far more likely to listen to a man in a suit than I am a woman. And I know that's like, I don't like saying that, but I, I do worry about that, particularly when it comes to things I don't understand, like finances or housing or something even like Mm. DIY. Implicit bias comes from our social world, from our culture, because the content of what the brain knows is what it sees in the world. So I see that men do certain kinds of work and women do other kinds of work. If I had seen in my world that women were largely construction workers and engineers, that's what my brain would have learned. And if I had seen in my world that men largely took care of children at home and cooked and cleaned for them, then that's what my brain would have learned. So the content is absolutely socially given, but the process by which thinking happens that leads to implicit bias is something that is a part of our evolutionary history. I've also noticed that when a man I consider to have authority compliments me on something, I take it with much more reverence. I decide, I do, do you that, know what I mean? But do you know why I do that, which I think is a bit depressing, is because I am surprised that a man could appreciate what I'm doing mm. as a silly, fluffy media woman. I think That's why I take it with more reverence. Well, I think it might go a bit deep in that for me, and I think on an unconscious level, maybe I think something isn't valid or correct until a man who looks like a yeah. CEO or a boss has told me it's valid or correct. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's kind of depressing. Um, and I also think, and this is really something I hate admitting, that if a man in authority or someone who I deem to be intelligent or powerful reinforces my opinion on something or agrees with me, I've noticed I'm then much more likely to assert myself incredibly confidently with that opinion. And I think that's obviously, that's because of the default man thing, isn't it? Which is something that Grayson Perry wrote about so well for the New Statesman. It might be my favourite New Statesman piece, actually. That he says, historically, we've always defaulted to a white-suited male for authority and for the final answer. And I think that casts a very long shadow even when you're trying to deprogram yourself. Did he write that piece when his book came out last year? Yes. Because he wrote a book, didn't he, which I didn't yeah, get round to about reading. About masculinity, yeah. That sounds like a... Which obviously he has had a lot of experience in because he is a straight man who dresses up as his alter ego, yeah. Claire. Yeah. That sounds like a really interesting piece. Put it in the show notes and I'll give it a read. Something else they talk about in the programme which is so interesting is just the power of internalised misogyny and why internalised sexism is so dangerous for the wider issue of gender equality. One of the experts said that the way anthropologically and psychologically this works is that if a member or members of a minority agrees with the majority in terms of a negative judgment or prejudice about their minority, then this liberates and legitimises the majority to carry on oppressing. Yeah, 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 I can see that. So actually... The signals of a woman expressing prejudice against her fellow women while men are present is especially damaging because that reinforcement will exacerbate it further, mm-hmm. which is why I stopped laughing at sexist jokes. There was a long period of my younger life when I would be around male friends or men making 
sexist jokes, I would have laughed along because I didn't want to seem like a party pooper or I didn't want to ruin the mood or that I'd take myself too seriously. But now I always make a point of saying that it isn't funny or I'll just leave the conversation because I don't want to be the female representation that gives them the green light that that's okay. And the female green light in that situation is much more dangerous than the male one, I think. I like that line. The female green light is so much more dangerous than the male one. As you say, women are implicit in sexism too. I don't like this idea and in recent times I've been railing against it whilst trying to figure out a way of articulating myself without it sounding like I am silencing women. Yeah. But I don't like this idea that women are totally innocent and that men are evil warriors. I think Mm. part of the Me Too coverage has at times got this wrong, not to help by some shitty journalistic reporting, which is this isn't an attack on men. This is a demand for society's way of thinking. Yes, exactly. And we're all affected by this culture. It's shit for everyone. It's shit for women. It's shit for men. Dolly loves life, everyone. (laughs) But patriarchal oppression is bad for everyone. It's not like men are thriving either under it. It's not great for them either. So, no, I agree with you that it's important to kind of explore these complicated areas. There's also a lot of talk in the programme about how we change things. I think the first step is just admitting that it is likely you carry this the way they describe it is this thumbprint of the patriarchy around with you and and realizing that that's not your fault. I noticed it the other day when I was in the gym and it made me feel so uncomfortable. I realized that I feel an involuntary relief when I'm on a, on the treadmill and there's a woman more unfit than me next to me. You told me this and I think that's brave of you to say that because I think that's brave because it's not something people want to admit, but I think it's unbelievably common. I think there are very, very few people, and I would say women, actually. I don't think men are very um, size cognizant. There are very, very few women who do not notice when someone is bigger or smaller than them. Sometimes it's just like a fleeting thought, but I think with almost every woman, you have had that brief acknowledgement of, oh, she's bigger or oh, she's smaller. Yeah, and I hate it. I hate it, and I think it's... I show compassion to myself for having those involuntary thoughts because how can I not when I'm so obsessed with my own shape? How can I not be? How can I not be when everywhere I look, women's value is their physicality? How can I... I I would love to say I'm blind to it. I would love the idea that one day I will be, but I've got to say right now I'm not. And I hate when I realise that because... I realise that there's this switch of either smugness or self-loathing that's flicked every time I look at a female body in the gym. And basically, we're sent signals our entire life from our family, from TV, from little children's storybooks. That, of course, permeates into our brain and it makes us competitive with each other. It makes us assess women's looks. It makes us dismiss and patronise other women. And as I say, this sounds very extreme. What I'm saying, I'm not saying that this is like something that dominates conscious thoughts at all. This is what the whole programme is about. You probably aren't even aware that you do it. A really common one, which I always remember people used to do when I was younger and it used to really annoy me, is when I got dumped, someone (laughs) would say, and when that person moved on, don't worry, you're prettier than her. Not always, don't worry, not always. But there would always be a kind friend saying that and I would always say, that's completely fucking irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. So I think the best thing you can do is accept that We're all at the behest of that, annoyingly. Um, Maybe not everyone. I think a lot of people are. And then consciously assess how you treat and react to fellow women. So I notice it even now, like a small example, is if I'm writing a piece or if Pandora and I are interviewing experts on a podcast segment, I now always make sure I'm including as many female voices as men, if not more female voices. And then I think the more you consciously check yourself with this stuff, the more like second nature it will become. And then hopefully it will, you can kind of quash it out of your system. So we could actually think that we are incredibly unbiased and liberal in our conscious minds, but end up being biased in our unconscious minds. Exactly. And I think this is a real challenge for many people because we all think that discrimination or bias is something that bad people with nasty values do. And I became interested in unconscious bias when I was carrying out an evaluation of training with a social services team. They were the nicest, most caring, most politically correct bunch of people I had ever met. And yet bias was happening within their organisation. 
As always, the Radio 4 show will be in the show notes. We'd love to know what you think of it. It's a really unpreachy, mm. easy to listen, mm. interesting, succinct bit of broadcasting. Support from the Hilo comes from Treatwell, the brighter way to book beauty. Treatwell is not only the brightest way to book beauty, it's by far the easiest. Browse reviews before booking, find off-peak and last-minute prices, choose from over 25,000 salons across the UK and Ireland, book easily online or on the app 24-7. It's beauty where you want, when you want it. Happy days. I had the most heavenly pregnancy treatment at the Declior Salon on Westbourne Grove last night. Snored through the whole thing, <laughs> natural more. <laughs> Were you asleep or was it just a state of such bliss that you found yourself snoring? I think a bit of both. <laughs> It's officially February, which means you've made it through January. And for those like me doing Jai January, you may celebrate with a tipple. Hurrah! Or even better, celebrate with a beauty treatment. I'm doing that as well, actually. <laughs> Having a facial this weekend. The most dismal month of the year is over. That is worth celebrating with a facial, haircut, massage or spa day. Many thanks to Treatwell. From women's unconscious bias to Kim Kardashian, it's nothing if not the high-low. <laughs> Kim Kardashian is making headlines, not for her brand new baby, Chicago. Chicago? Who was recently born by a surrogacy, but because of her braids that she has been debuting all over Instagram this week in a slightly surreal series of nude Polaroids, drip fed to us hungry lot. So guys, I got some Bo Derek braids and I'm really into it, she wrote, of what is a traditionally black hairstyle known as cornrows. She has since shared six Instagram pictures at the time of record of this hairstyle in the last two days, one of which is merely captioned Bo West, which is meant to refer to Bo Derek having those those braids. There's some pretty golden comments in the comment section ranging from you got a great surgeon, why you need to do this? <laughs> to looks like Monica Geller in Barbados, as I referenced earlier, mm, mm. as if by fate the episode where Monica gets braids suffixed by shells was on my telly as I was wading through Kim Kardashian's comment section. Really? God help anyone who has to wade through Kim Kardashian's comment section. That's <laughs> not a euphemism. The internet is not impressed and we're still waiting on hopefully the masses of think pieces that will come in response to the photos. Refinery29 have already written a piece saying Kim's post manages to whitewash and ignore the rich origins of a look that isn't just a protective style but a tie to African heritage. But hey, I guess it doesn't matter because she doesn't see colour and I think that's in reference to a very problematic comment that she made. At Teenage Nature tweeted... They're called Fulani braids, or some may even say cornrows. You could have called them either one, but you called them Bo Derek, giving credit to a white woman for a black style, knowing you already catch heat for culture vulturing. Immigration reporter Tina Vasquez tweeted, Kim Kardashian said she got Bo Derek braids. She is 100% out here trolling black women. You can't convince me otherwise. Well, it's obvious to me that the reason she referenced Bo Derek was she was being defensive and saying... If another woman who isn't black did this, I'm allowed to do this. I'm not the first to do this. So I think she was referencing Bo Derek to deflect responsibility, which also it should have been obvious to her at that point that like a bastion of how to behave when it comes to stealing from other cultures is not someone from the 1970s and 80s. I disagree. I don't think she was deflecting responsibility. I think she didn't do due diligence. I don't think it entered her head mm. um, to acknowledge the heritage of those braids because, as one of the tweets you read out referenced, she claims she doesn't see colour. Mm. So to her, this would be in keeping with not having to delve into the heritage because sort of everything's up, up for grabs with her. I also think, and I'm not calling her stupid, but I'm also not calling her hugely clever in how thoughtful her narrative is to her creative content. Mm. I just don't think she really thought about it. Anyway, Kim hit back at criticisms of cultural appropriation with a picture of her on the phone captioned, Hi, can I order zero fucks, please? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at this reportage, reading out these sort of huntastic Instagram <laughs> captions. Before we go any further, let's clarify exactly what cultural appropriation is. 
Everyday Feminism website has a good definition. Cultural appropriation in its simplest form is when someone adopts something from a culture that doesn't belong to them. This could be a hairstyle or a way of speaking. Unlike cultural exchange, in which there is a mutual interchange, appropriation refers to a particular power dynamic in which members of a dominant culture take elements from a culture of people who have been systematically oppressed by that dominant group. So we're not talking about when someone goes on holiday and buys something from a Moroccan souk or Mm. when someone's lived in a country for a very long time and brings back a trinket from there. Cultural appropriation is very topical at the moment, mostly because we are just much more woke to injustice in marginalised communities. The internet really fosters continual analysis of pop culture moments, even if it's just a picture. Mm. Recent other examples include the fashion designer Mark Jacobs, who was accused of being insensitive for using dreadlocks at his Spring Summer 17 show last year, which had an almost entirely white lineup. Gold hoop earrings are another one that there's been debate about recently. They're huge in fashion right now and they originate from the Latina community. Chola, a hairstyle which involves gelling your baby curls onto your forehead and stems from a Mexican American subculture and has been seen on Selena Gomez, Rihanna, the Jenners. That's been up for debate in the last few years. And just this week alone, H. H&M have been slammed for producing some socks which spell out Allah in Arabic and couture designer Zuhair Murad was accused at Couture Week last week of cultural appropriation for his catwalk hashtag Indian Summer. To be honest, there's a long, long list of both recent and longer lead examples. Some are more obvious to the collective gaze, such as Kim's hair, which people immediately think, oh dear, than Mm. others. Do you remember when ASOS sold a Native American headdress? That was Mm. a few years back, but there are... Um, they're frequent, absolutely frequent. Yeah, and I was so blinded by privilege that I just had no idea that the Native American headdress would be a problem before it was pointed out to me. And then I suddenly remember feeling so uncomfortable at every music festival I went to when I would see these white blonde women in denim hot pants, often off the tits on MTMA, just wandering around with these like quite problematic hairdresses on without a care in the world. Festival dressing is, and I won't delve into that now, but festival dressing is a really interesting one because festival dressing by its nature brings together so many different subcultures and kind of artisanal skills. Mm. And I agree with you, the MGMA woman with the headdress isn't a great um, exploration of that. But I think there is an interesting conversation to be had about how we can reconcile the fancy dress of festivals with... Yeah, the only problem is, is that with British festivals, it's still a very middle-class hobby yeah <laughs> it's, it's not like it's Im- not like woodstock but also yeah. i've just got this image in my head of it oh god i hate festivals it's <laughs> definitely a minefield cultural appropriation but it is a minefield that demands navigation it's also worth remembering that times change and what was okay a few years ago is no longer okay now in that it was never really okay but it wasn't called out in the same way we didn't have the yeah. same discussions yeah. you can't hold yourself to the same um, standards as now I don't hold my 18 year old self to the same standards I do at my 30 year old self not that I can think of any specific examples but if I wore a headdress then you know I wouldn't wear a headdress now mm-hmm. I've never worn a headdress guys I'm just saying that I don't want to be super super you know no I'm very sure that there could be a moment when I was at a festival when I was younger when I could have put a headdress on like that I fully admit that that that's something I just as I said I was sort of blinded by privilege I had no idea that that could ever be a problem and obviously now I do I think it can be hard to keep up as well with cultural appropriation. It does require a lot of reading and understanding of different cultures. And that's not something we're particularly taught at school. No. That comes from an adult education. As a white woman whose subculture or lack thereof cannot be purloined for someone else's aesthetic gain, it's pretty important for me and you, Dolly, to seek mm. diverse opinion on this. I had a really interesting conversation with beauty entrepreneur Sharma Dean Reed. So she's the founder of War Nails and Beauty Stack. She's a Guardian columnist and she's an all-round just award-winning businesswoman. She told me that she was more offended by Kim's tits out aesthetic. She's literally naked on her Instagram, Mm. just blowing out her nipples, than she is her braids. I find the cultural appropriation conversation complicated, she told me, because I wear straight hair extensions like a lot of black girls, which is typically a white hairstyle. Kim's hair could most likely be perceived as offensive to Rastafarianism, which isn't exclusively black, she said, pointing out that Rastafarianism is a religion, which also includes white people. What Sharmadine highlighted, which is important, is that there is not a one-size-fits-all reaction particularly amongst the black community, when hairstyles are appropriated, say like Kim Kardashian's. 
Kim was influenced by Fulani braids, which are from West Africa, says Sharmadine. I grew up in Jamaica and I have never heard of Fulani braids. If you quizzed me on them, I would fail. Furthermore, I don't call them cornrows, I call them cane rows. It's important to remember that there are unique cultures within cultures within race. That's interesting what she says about borrowing from white culture with her straight hair, but I suppose some would argue that there's no need to borrow from white culture because white culture is just pushed on everyone. It's also not a subculture. Yeah. So but, I, but, but, I, but, I, but I like that she was exploring... Yeah, of course, yeah. ...what other cultures she takes cue from in her beauty routine. Yes. Um, but, you know, famously black models features and hair are often lightened or adjusted in post-production to make them seem more white. Absolutely. I think what Sharma Dean says is really interesting because we are in an age of offence and by that I mean it's become quite blanket and you're expected to be offended by the same things and it's important to explain the nuance and not to be embarrassed to say, well, I personally don't find this offensive. Mm. As Sharma Dean said, she's more offended by Kim's sexualization. She also said to me, if you don't like Kim Kardashian, don't follow her. Mm. You know, she's, I think we're all getting this slight fatigue about oh, they're so offensive. It's like the Daily Mail. And it's like, well, why are you commenting on it, Daily mm. Mail? You're clearly not her bloody audience. Sharmadine also sent me a link to the chewing gum creator and actor Michaela Cole's Twitter page, which made me laugh. Michaela tweeted, the braids on Kim Kardashian's head are as whatever as old pigeon shit on the bottom of your shoe. She's <laughs> sipping on gin and juice, cackling away at your flailing tweets. She's bored with life and trying to incite irrational outrage in black women. It's her entertainment and way of coping. Although there's another tweet where she says why don't we just not blink or tweet or cry or make it news she'd think her phone was broken no offense to the kim behind the kim mask do you know i hadn't even thought of that i just thought she was being fucking stupid and therefore offensive but with the very limited knowledge of kim kardashian that i do have i suppose it wouldn't be beyond her that she might consider doing this for publicity to to court controversy and i do think that's quite a dark thing to do if that's true. I don't think she's a controversialist. I would say she does court controversy by her actions, but I don't think they're intentional. I think she's just really myopic. Yeah. Cultural appropriation is something that's talked a lot about in fashion and beauty at the moment. Those previous fashion houses I mentioned... And it's definitely made more complicated by the fact that the fashion industry is built on the swapping and combining and the spreading of artisanal skills and local cottage industries. As Sharmadine says, I come from an old school styling background where this is just considered experimentation. Trends don't spread without appropriation of some kind, whether that's Japanese selvage denim, so if you're wearing indigo denim, you're wearing it, to machilla embroidery from Colombia, which covers most of our summer wardrobe or our canvas handbags. The question is how to remain properly informed whilst also not feeling like you have to avoid every single trend, because of course, cornrows are in a completely different camp to machilla embroidery. Although I also know that in Colombia, there are people who really disagree with machilla bags being sold to tourists like me. I bought machilla bags for my family when I went to Colombia at New Year because the machilla community um, the bags are made by teenage girls when they are locked in a hut when they get their period. Traditionally, mm. they're not made by them anymore. Mm. So there's a very interesting narrative behind mm. a lot of trends that we embrace very casually that are not immediately obviously offensive yes. in the way that causes yes. that. Side note, is it problematic to talk about Kim Kardashian like she's a white woman when she's half Armenian? I often think that the way that we cover it isn't always entirely correct. She's been slammed many times before for self-identifying as black, so appropriating a black body type. Um, but it definitely illustrates to me that we need to stop talking about cultural appropriation and race as if it's quite literally a, a black and white issue and super binary. Race is subjective in how you perceive your own racial identity and, and how others perceive you. And I don't mean Rachel Doe's. I mean that often people who are mixed race identify more with yes. one part of their heritage. Her personal life undoubtedly influences her self-expression. She's married to a black man and she is raising mixed race children. But then again, I of course completely understand the argument where it says, sure, yes, but that doesn't make her black. You don't get to pick and choose. It's a very interesting conversation. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to hear more from anyone. I hope it's a conversation we keep on having. Yeah, I hope it's see. not a conversation we avoid because it's a minefield. We need to have it in order to detonate some bombs. I think the pick and choose 
thing is a very good phrase. I think the main issue is, and this doesn't just apply to black culture, it applies to many cultures, it's offensive to take the fun or sexy or fashionable or more aesthetically pleasing parts of an oppressed people's culture, while particularly while they as a minority still exist in turmoil and injustice and prejudice. And I think that's what's uncomfortable about cultural appropriation is that you can't pick and choose like that because it aligns you with part of that minority human experience while also dismissing or not even experiencing a lot of other unique parts of it, which a lot of it will be rooted in deep pain. I think what I've gathered from the tweets is that it would have been relatively easy for her to avoid being offensive, which is to have referenced the fact that they are Fulani braids. I mean, there are some people who still wouldn't have liked her doing it, but I think she would have been, she'd have been more within her rights if she hadn't referenced Bo Derek, if she'd referenced the fact that they were Fulani braids. Or maybe apologise for offending anyone, but the the Kardashian Jenners do not apologise. See Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial for more details. As Sharma Dean and Michaela explain, not everyone is offended by the same stuff. It's okay to find your own parameters. It doesn't have to be in line with the internet hot takes or it might be more than them. And I don't mean it's okay to find your own parameters as a white woman to go, I'm not offended by that. (laughs) I mean, find your own parameters when it's your own um, community being plundered. At times, I think this conversation can border on snowflakery. And before I get reminded of my own white privilege, I'm talking about last week when I read a bunch of comments on Man Repeller, where Leandra was accused of appropriating the headscarf because she said she liked wearing a towel turban in the bathroom. I personally don't invest in that. And I think we need to be quite careful to draw a line so as to not detract from much more important conversations. No time to do an Ask the High Low this week, but we will be doing a quick fire Ask the High Low because we've been collecting your questions on Twitter. Thank you very much. Thank you to ACAST for letting us use your studio. Thank you to Charlie, our much beloved producer. You can email the High Low, the High Low Show at gmail.com, and you can tweet us at the High Low Show. For anyone asking, we've had a few questions concerned about our potential maternity leave. Please rest assured we are taking the smallest amount of time. But also, can I say on behalf of you, can you stop badgering? Pandora about it. I know you love the podcast, but like she's allowed to give birth to her baby, to her child, and spend time with it. A small break of six and a half years. No, we're going to take six weeks off, and you'll know when the maternity leave starts because there will be a pre-recorded episode with Dolly announcing that the maternity leave has begun. But until then, you can enjoy a few more weeks of the high low for February. We hope. Thank you very much. Bye. 